prepare for e- uh, Resurrection Sunday. I have to correct myself there. Trying to uh, kind of put these messages together starting Wednesday night in this uh, Sunday school. And then also uh, for uh, this morning and then, and then this coming Wednesday night we'll be on witnessing. So <clears throat> this morning's message is titled, Is the Cross Sufficient? And uh, there's a subtitle is uh, exactly how good is good enough. I've used this message before. I've tweaked a little bit. I first preached it in 1996. Um, Andy Stanley had preached this in 1994, and uh, it, it came from the evangelism explosion material that uh, I went to in 2002 uh, down in uh, Memphis, Tennessee uh, at Bellevue a Baptist Church. And as we go into Resurrection Sunday, there's many evidences for the Christian faith. And uh, I know Pastor Jim will touch on those uh, next week. But the problem we see in our society today is very soft in our society today. I've noticed that uh, even along the lines of athletics and and just the way people operate is people want to believe that good people go to heaven. And this morning I I really want to stress why the cross is sufficient. But I want to start by saying that we live in a society that for the most part, people believe that good people go to heaven. And if that's the case, then why did Jesus Christ have to die? Most people here today, not, even, not in this particular church, but in this society, believe that there is a correlation between what you do in this life and where you spend eternity. Most people believe, when you ask them, and we did this in EE, we would just, evangelism explosion, we would just ask people. We would just ask them. And there's two diagnostic questions. They're, they're wonderful questions. The first question is, if you were to die today, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And uh, you normally get something back like, yeah, I hope so. I think so. Um, you know, I believe so. Uh, and then the second diagnostic question is, if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what do you think you'd tell him? <clears throat> and immediately, the majority of people begin to give you a list of the things they've done, the good things they've done, and the bad things they haven't done. And uh, that seems to be a, a typical response from people. Well, I, and this is the first thing they cite, is start citing all the things they've done throughout their life and all the bad things or the good things they've done and all the bad things they haven't done. Well, I've never, and I've heard that many times. The one that we always hear is, uh, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, how do you know murder's the big one? You know, really. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of sins in the Bible, okay? Uh, in fact, according to the Word of God, one lie is enough to keep you out of heaven forever. Okay, so... People will answer those questions, and, I, and I've answered, asked those many times, and, uh, and normally the responses are the same. Now, in today's society, it's very hard to engage people in a conversation about heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought that, but, you know, it's always the, the next president is based on the economy. Uh, it's easy to talk to people about uh, sports, right, uh, uh, whatever the hometown team is, sports. Politics, you know, it's always politics, the economy, and uh, world events. What did you watch the news today? It's always, the, but when you try to engage someone in a conversation about heaven, it doesn't go very far. And, uh, and so we need to be able to confront people at the point of, uh, you know, where they're at and ask these questions and draw them out so we can share with them the folly of the good people go to heaven system. Now, to be fair this morning, I want to touch on why 
the idea in our society and around the world, the idea that the good people go to heaven uh, system, uh, why it sounds good and what it has going for it, just to be fair. So, number one, when it comes to good people go to heaven, um, what it has going for it is that it seems fair. And, I, you know, Pastor Jim, we don't like the word fair, so we say seems just. Okay, it seems that way. Because in your home, okay, when you do good uh, for kids, uh, you're rewarded. When you do bad, you're punished. In society, when you do bad, you're punished. If you do, uh, you know, things well, whatever it might be, you'll get some sort of uh, merit and so forth. Uh, at work, when you do well, you get rewarded. You get a raise. You get a promotion. If you, if you do bad, you're punished. And uh, the reward system that we have has been kind of set up that way in our society. Good reward bad punish so it would just seem that if there's a good god in a good heaven somewhere that good people would go there because that's the way that it works or appears to work here on earth now we have on the surface we're not going to get into the details of the word of god yet but on the surface it just seems like it would be fair good god good heaven good people go there uh that seems just really logical. The next thing is, you're, if good people go to heaven, you're going to heaven, right? Because you're basically good, right? I mean, maybe not perfect, or nobody goes to heaven, because there's no such thing as perfect, right? But as it stands, I've never heard, I've had one person, maybe two, but a guy named uh, Robert L. Porter, I had an opportunity to lead to the Lord in 2002 at the Z. CMI Mall in downtown Salt Lake City on the uh, Olympic mission trip. And I just walked up to the guy and I said the two diagnostic questions. And he sat me down. He says, if I were to die right now, I'd go straight to hell. I've never heard anybody say that. I had an opportunity to lead him to the Lord. I've never forgotten him. But most people will say, and this is just a, a, a regular response. I'm a good person. I'm going to, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. It's very hard to get someone to admit, I'm a bad person, I'm not going. It's very hard to get someone to admit that. Because I might not be, you know, on the upper here of society, but I'm not down here, I'm somewhere in the middle, and, you know, it's just somehow it's going to work out, and God's good, and, and I'm just going to make it somehow. And everybody seems to, in our society, look at this through a fog. They never think it through. What these diagnostic questions are for is to get people to think. We're not here to beat anyone over the head. And then our way's better, or whatever it might be. The goal is to get people to think. When you say, I'm good, I'm just going to make it, people say that it, they're in a fog. They don't really know how, but on the surface, they think it looks good. And it looks good to them because they're going to go to heaven, because they're basically good. Lastly, if this was taken more serious, seriously, that good people go to heaven, then we'd have a better society. Better doctors and lawyers. I don't know if that's possible, but anyway. So we would have, uh, you know, better politicians and, and uh, oh boy, there's some of them here. I better. Um, so hold on, I need a drink of water now. I'm really parched. We'd have a better society if people took the idea that good people go to heaven to be with a good God in a good heaven because they're basically good. And if they tried really hard to be good, we'd have a better society. Okay? And so those are just some of the things that, uh, that, that the good people go to heaven system has going for it. But I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning really looking at the problems 
of the good people go to heaven system. <clears throat> Number one, there's no clear standard by which we can define good. There's no clear standard by which we can define good. Now, I'm saying this as a perspective of good people go to heaven. We as believers know that the Bible is a standard, but we're going to touch on that here in a minute. But as far as the system goes, that good people go to heaven, when you ask someone, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? And they say, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. They don't have a standard. They don't cite any statistics. There's no graph. There's no chart. They don't have a book. It's just, again, all in a fog. I'm good. I'm going to make it somehow. So there's no clear standard by which we can even define good. So what I've learned to say when people say, you know, so-and-so is a, a really good person, try not to be, you know, snippy or anything. I say, you know, that's a really good point. Could you tell me what your standard is? What's your standard for good? That gets people thinking. All this time, I've thought I'm good, and I don't even have a standard for what it is. Because they make it up as they go along. See, with, a, with no standard by which we can define good, it would be as if you signed up for a class at the university. Okay, let's say you sign up for a class, and you show up, and the uh, professor says, uh, thank you for uh, you know, joining Such and Such 101. Uh, we will be back here December the 8th for the final exam, and shits their book and begins to leave the class. You say, wait a minute. You didn't give us uh, anything to read. There's nothing to read. But there's no notes? No notes. We don't have classes? No classes. But at the end of the semester, you will be graded on your final exam to see whether or not you pass this course. See, you'd never sign up for a class like that. But if you believe, or you know people that believe that good people go to heaven, they signed up for a class just like that. Because there's no books. There's no notes. There's no class. You're not instructed on anything to do. But yet at the end, there'll be a final exam, and you're gonna, your, your whole grade hinges on an exam by a professor that never gave you anything to read. You don't even know what it's on. It'd be as if you went to a job interview. You showed up and said, you know, we read your resume. We're really impressed. Thank you for uh, wanting to join ACME. You know? And uh, they interview you. Finally, they say, you sound great. You get the job. But I want to let you know there's a three-week evaluation, uh, probation process, that at the end of that three weeks, if you don't measure up, uh, you're going to be fired. And uh, the person says, well, is there a job? And there's no job description. When do I show up? You just kind of figure that out on your own. What do I do? You know, you just kind of go about it your own way. But at the end of three weeks, if you don't measure up to our standards, you'll lose your job. Well, you'd never... You would never think an employer like that would be a fair employer without some sort of job description. But at the end of three weeks, you're going to be evaluated on how you performed at a job, and they never let you know what it was. It would be as if you joined a race. I love this one. You sign up for a race, whatever it might be, and you, you show up there and Saturday morning, and uh, you go up to the, to the little referee there. It, uh, it's uh, running the race. Uh, the whole entire program, you know, they got their little outfit on, you know, and the, and the gun. You say, uh, where's the track? There's no track. Is there a trail? There's no trail. When do we start? Well, you know, we'll let you know. Where do we go? You just figure that out as you go. Where's the finish line? There's no finish line. And then the gun fires, and everybody just scatters and runs in all directions, okay? Now, that sounds pretty funny, but if you believe that good people go to heaven, you've signed up for a race just like that. Because there's no mile markers. There's no track. There's nothing for you to which you, you can base your progress on. You've signed up for a, a class, a job, or a race just like these three. 
because in the good people go to heaven system without any clear delineations or standards or anything to know by which we can be judged, then you're just on your own. But yet, but yet there's going to be a final exam and your eternal destiny hinges on you being good enough and you don't even know what it is. I don't think people think that through. I hear that more often than not. I'm a good person. Okay? <clears throat> See, people argue, and I've heard this. I've had friends. Well, I'll never believe in your God because your God's not fair. Because your God says if you've never heard about Jesus, that you can't go to heaven. You talk about not fair. At least the God of the Bible has given me a hint. At least he's given me a clue. Their God gave them no clue. He just fired the gun when they were born and said, go for it. But they're going to be judged. And their eternal destiny depends on whether or not they were good enough. <clears throat> if you've never heard, well, God has an answer for that in his word. Oscar said something very profound this morning. He said he was looking up at the stars. And he couldn't believe the creation. He couldn't believe that God just threw that out there. Last night he was looking up at the stars. Romans chapter 1 says that we are all without excuse. The aborigine down in Australia, the, you know, the people say, what about the people in the jungle in Africa? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Men know. Human beings know intrinsically that there is a God and that there is an eternity. Ecclesiastes tells us that. And Romans 1 says they're without excuse because of the creation. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. So, so people know. They might not know who Jesus is right now, and they might not be familiar with the Word of God, but they know that they know that they know deep down inside. So that's why most atheists are so angry, because there's an internal battle going on, and they're fighting against what their inner man has been programmed to know. Okay. <clears throat> so when people say that God's not fair, uh, another thing they'll say, uh, the God of the Bible's not fair, People will say, well, there is a standard. There is a standard. And it's this big book called the Bible. You know, it's got little print, thin pages. I mean, it's just full of information. There is a standard. There is a standard, these people will say. And I try to be good. The problem is nobody can pull it off. The bar is too high. Turn to Romans chapter 3, if you will. Romans chapter 3. See, the problem, when a person that thinks good people go to heaven, and I try to keep some of the rules out of the Bible, or I look at the Bible and say, I basically, I'm basically good, I basically try. The problem with that is nobody can do it. Look at verse 10. As it is written, Paul said, there's none righteous, no, not one. People say, I'm not trying to be righteous. I'm just trying to be good. Righteous, that's God's word for good. He's saying there are no good people. There are no good people. Oh, you know, who are you to say that? But, but that includes me. That includes Charles Spurgeon, my favorite, D.L. Moody. I mean, that, that includes the Apostle Paul before Christ. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You see what he's saying here? By keeping the law, nobody could ever be justified in the sight of God. Now, why is that? Because nobody can keep the law. Nobody can keep the law. Can't do it. The standards are too high. 
Look at verse 23. For all, what does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means at one point, everybody has tried their best to give it their best shot at a point in time, and they've blown it. They've failed to measure up to the standards that God has set for us in the very Bible that a lot of people want to point to to say that I try to keep this and I try to keep that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's an archery term, and uh, it means to miss the mark. Okay, so the bottom line is we've all tried at some point in time to do good, to be gooder than the person next to us, you know, and we've fallen short. Every single one that have ever lived saved Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, you will get some people, and I've run into this too, and, and, uh, and uh, Andy Stanley, his funny story, he talks about when he was going to Dallas Theological Seminary, a woman uh, worked at a um, dry cleaner that he frequented, and uh, she would say, but Andy, I keep the Ten Commandments. Okay? okay? But you haven't always kept the Ten Commandments. Even if right now you could look down, yeah, I haven't done that, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. Okay? You haven't always. But let me say this. The Ten Commandments were never given as a standard, as a way to get into heaven. In the book of Exodus, I believe it's chapter 20, where, where uh, uh, the Ten Commandments are given, uh, heaven's not even mentioned. In fact, heaven's only mentioned three times in the book of Exodus. It's about three times. Once it says God lives there, and twice it says birds fly there. So, you know, heaven... <coughs> in the Ten Commandments don't go hand in hand. Number one, nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. And number two, the Ten Commandments were never given as a way for you to get to heaven. The Bible says the law was given as a schoolmaster. What does that mean? It's to show us that we do fall short and we need help. So the Ten Commandments were never given as a way to get to heaven. If you look at uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, this could be as far as religiously going, or, or saying, that the Apostle Paul gives his pedigree here, and he tells us that even he cannot trust in anything done in the flesh. Why? Because God's standards are so high, God's standards are so high that nobody could keep them. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament. The Pharisee of Pharisees, he says. He was as religious as they, as they are, as they come. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He's talking about his flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I more so. Comparing himself to anybody else, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, he was blameless, he says. And then here's what he has to say about him keeping the law. But what things were gained to me, those I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung or rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now here is what he says. Not having my own righteousness 
which is from the law. You can't be good enough to keep the law. And your own righteousness could never be enough to satisfy the demands of a holy God. <clears throat> Not having my own righteousness, from, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. And so he tells us this righteousness is attained by faith. Now, others, you know, we have New Age friends and people, uh, you know, and let's say go to the Far East, Buddhists and Hindus and uh, so forth, is that the truth is inside of you. The standard is inside of us. That the light is inside of us. That we're born with that, that standard and that truth inside of us. And, and I love this because I read a book by, by, by the gentleman, Don Richardson, just went home to be with the Lord at 83 years old here uh, in December. But he was a missionary uh, to New Guinea. And he tells a story of being down there and explaining the gospel to these people. Now, you go around the globe and people's internal clock is different everywhere you go. You know, your sense of right and wrong would be different from theirs. You go all around cultures and, and, and the things are just amazing. We went to Tahiti uh, 20 something years ago and I can remember that uh, you know lunch was served from 11 to 2 and uh, you know we got there at uh, 1 and it was closed because they just felt like closing they do things you get below the equator uh, I had a friend whose brother played basketball in Brazil and he said in that particular part of the country that uh, 2 o'clock meant any time between 2 and 3 it was still 2 o'clock so they said let's play basketball at 2 and he showed up Kevin Fagerstrom showed up uh, to play basketball at 2 o'clock, and they showed up at 2.45, 2.50, and he says, you said you'd be here at 2, and they said, it's still 2. You see, you go around the cultures of the world, things are different. And so their sense of right and wrong would be different from our sense of right and wrong. In fact, apart from the word of God here this morning, if we were to ask everybody and do a poll and go around the room on what wrong is and right is, we wouldn't even be able to agree amongst ourselves, apart from having a clear standard. He began to give the gospel to this, uh, this tribe in New Guinea, and what he found was they were really disinterested. They just could have really cared less. And uh, they were very bored. They were yawning and so forth. And finally, he started to get to the point where Judas is, you know, you'll know that uh, he's the one. I'll go in, I'll kiss him, and, and uh, you know, they'll arrest him. And he says they got really interested. And right at the point where Christ uh, gets arrested, they begin to cheer but he didn't understand the way that culture was. In that culture, that was an honorable thing to befriend someone, get them to trust you, and to betray them. Judas was the hero of the Gospels in that culture. You know why? Because internally, their internal clock was different. That's the way that culture was, down through the ages. Does that mean they're, they have an excuse? No. But they were just different. And that's what you find when you go around the cultures in the world. So we need a clear standard. So he says... That in that culture, when he found that out, and, and this is where he wrote a book called Peace Child, where he had an opportunity to, if anyone's ever read that, um, to be able to reach those people for Christ, based on things he could understand from that culture. Now, another problem with the good people go to heaven system is there's no way to measure progress. And we're just about out of time. So there's no way to measure progress. No way. You never know when you've made it. You've never known when you made it. You know, is this a 50-50 thing? 49, 51, 50 when you make it, 49, okay? Maybe it's 70, 30. That's where we got the school grading system. You're 70% good works, 30% bad, okay? Or maybe God's, you know, 
kind of lenient. Maybe it's 30-70, just 30% good works. You know, then you got your OCD people over here. God's an 85% God. God's an 85% God. And then you got your mercy people over here. I think it's 15%. I think God's a 15%. You never know. There's no way to measure progress in this system. And if we thought we could, we'd never agree. We'd never agree because the good people go to heaven. God has never given anybody any way to measure their progress. And remember, when you're dealing with people like this, their eternal destiny depends on whether or not they've been good enough. And yet there's no way to measure progress. And the last problem with this, and this is our last point this morning, is if you believe that good people go to heaven, you also believe that Jesus Christ is a liar. Because Jesus seemed to teach that good people don't go to heaven and that bad people do. Look in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Twenty-three. Am I right here? Let's see. Okay. I'm sorry. Luke twenty-three. Yeah, thirty-two. There were also two others criminals led with him to be put to death. So he had criminals on either side. We know about. Um, the two uh, thieves, the Bible, some translations say, are male factors. Look at verse 39. You see, if you believe that good people go to heaven, you believe Jesus is a liar. You see, back then the Pharisees were professional good people. They made up rules to keep from breaking rules. Okay? They were really good. They were the goodest people there were. And you had the average normal person saying, well, if they can't make it to heaven, Jesus, see those people over there? They're not good enough. They're not going to heaven. They're not good enough. Now, the average person would look at that and say, well, if they're not good enough, there's no hope for me. But Jesus kept saying, there's hope for you. There's, you can have eternal life. And people couldn't understand because they had been brainwashed by religions for so long that they thought these professional good people were the ones that got in. And they were in the back of the line. And that puts a heavy burden on people thinking they have no hope. But Jesus would say to these people, but there's hope for you. You can have eternal life. <clears throat> Look at 39. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we received the due reward of the deeds, of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He acknowledged Jesus' innocence. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <clears throat> These are bad people. You know, the, 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 some translations say thieves. But from the classical Greek, they use a word that means pirate. These are really bad people. See, Rome would use slaves for, for cheap labor, free labor in the marble mines or, you know, cutting up marble or, or in the salt mines or, you know, rowing boats like you see in Ben-Hur. It, it was free, cheap labor. But some people just couldn't be reformed. And this is where we get the Greek word pirate from this. These people are bad people. So they, they crucify them. They make an example of them. So this guy was bad. They were, you know, they weren't thieves. These were bad people. And, uh, The one at the end has a change of heart. 
He does two things that God asks us to do this morning. First of all, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shouts down through the ages. When he said, Lord, remember me, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He shouts down through the ages, your life a crime? No problem for me. The fact that you can't remember right from wrong or the last time you did anything good, no problem for me. He shouts through the ages, good people don't go to heaven. Sometimes really bad people go to heaven, but that's not the issue because he's a just God. And he did, the, the criminal did two things God wants us to do. He says, Lord, remember me. He acknowledged his need of Christ. He acknowledged his need of Christ. Everyone born into this world has a need for Christ. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't say a kingdom. He didn't say the kingdom. He said your kingdom. He acknowledged that Christ was the king. Jesus, you have a kingdom. You are the king. He acknowledges a need for Christ. And he recognized who he was. What God wants from you this morning is to acknowledge your need for Christ, and to recognize who he was. Jehovah God of the Old Testament took on flesh and bone, walked the earth, lived a sinless life. You can never be good enough to meet the demands of a holy God. Is the cross sufficient? John 19.30. I always like how that coincides with Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 and John 19.30, and I use this in in evangelism. In John 19.30, we have a dying Jewish stonemason Hebrew stonemason that sits up there naked. There's no loincloth. And he says, it is finished. Paid in full. Tetelestai. Paid in full. Why does a dying man yell out, paid in full? What was paid in full? Look at Romans 6.23 and we'll close. Romans 6.23. Jesus of Nazareth dies on a cross and he yells out, Tetelestai. Paid in full. Romans 6.23. It's just a, just kind of a, a strange thing for someone to say when they're dying. For the wages of sin is death. What was paid in full on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago? The wages of your sin. That's what was paid in full. Is the cross sufficient? According to the God-man, it was paid in full. Tetelestai. The wages of that sin is death, but the gift, the free gift, by faith, is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in the same Jesus who said it's paid in full. You know, Paul said that I determined to the Corinthians not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me say something. This is a Pharisee, the Pharisees, blameless concerning the law. And yet, at the end of it all, he says... I don't want to know anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross is sufficient this morning. And in fact, it's the only thing and the only provision that God has made for us to be reconciled to a holy God is the cross of Jesus Christ. You can know. In the good people go to heaven system, you can never know living in that fog. 1 John 5.13 tells us that you can know you have eternal life because he's a just and he's a fair God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be up here, and thank you for the Word of God, which is uh, perfect and inerrant in every way.
Lord, I just pray that our witness would be strong. We'd be, all, be able to know how to answer our people, be able to say the things we need to say, not to beat people over the head, Lord, but in love, get people to think, to draw them out, to see that you can never be good enough to go to heaven because God is perfect and just. And thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that to tell us die, our sins were paid in full on Calvary's cross, the wages of our sin and that you paid it all. As we sing, Calvary covers it all. We thank you for it. Thank you that we can know that we know that we know that salvation is not a guessing game. It's not a hope-so salvation, but a no-so salvation based on the authority of your word. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has never done business with you and come to you and acknowledge the fact that they aren't good, that apart from being perfect, there is no hope. And the only way to be perfect in your sight is to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to them as a gift because of his finished work on the cross. And I pray that you would convict hearts even now, Lord, if there's someone here that does not have the assurance of eternal life. And for those of us that do, based on the authority of your word, Lord, I pray that we would have a burden for those outside. And uh, our witness would be, uh, would be one that uh, people would look to and say, you know, that really makes sense. The gospel makes sense. Good people don't go to heaven. Sometimes bad people go to heaven. But, Father, you're a just God, and you've provided a way, the only way. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.